don't know if you ever give much thought to roosters. You know, but God made roosters for a very special reason. They are the trumpets of the morning. Uh, a rooster's job, it seems, as God created them, is to signal that there's a new day that's come. If you've ever lived on a farm or lived in a farming community or somewhere where there are roosters, you know that at the crack of dawn, those nasty little birds start crowing, and they're there to rouse the sleepers from their beds and to remind the kids to get up. It's time to do chores. It's time to milk the cows or whatever. I suggest to you that Peter knew all about roosters. I feel pretty safe in saying that because I don't think you live in rural Galilee and not get used to the early morning singing of a rooster chorus. He'd heard roosters crowing from, from the day he was born. And to Peter, he recognized that as being the voice of someone saying, Wake up! A new day is beginning. And no doubt over the years of his life, he'd heard a rooster crow perhaps a thousand times or more. But of all the times, and of all the roosters, he remembers only one time, and one rooster, and one sound. I think most of us know this happened on a Friday nearly some 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. The rooster crowed, and Peter never, ever forgot that sound. As long as he lived, he never forgot it. And if we know any from the scripture, it seems like he never got tired of telling other people about that story. In fact, the story is told so many times that it is found in each of the four Gospels. You find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so now for 2,000 plus years, this story, told and retold, has encouraged Christians everywhere. Wherever the story of Jesus' arrest is told, the story of Peter and the rooster is also pretty sure to be told. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like this story about Peter and the rooster. And I think the reason I like it, maybe the reason you like it, is because we understand it, and we probably can even see ourselves somewhere in that story. In fact, I want to suggest to you that few Bible stories speak to us as loudly as as this story of Peter and the rooster. Now, Matthew Henry is a uh, Bible commentator lived about 300 years ago. And when he wrote about this story, he said that the story of Peter, you can divide roughly into two parts. Part one was Peter's fall. Part two was Peter getting back up again. And so tonight, I'm going to follow that very simple outline as we look at the story. And as we do... We're going to thank God that even though Peter fell, he did get back up again, because I think that's an encouragement to us, because we know that we also fell or continue to fall, but God continues to help us back up. I'll take you back, though, to that night on that Friday. What actually happened on that night? Well, simply this, Peter was totally unprepared to be quizzed by a servant girl and other people. They caught him completely off guard as he was trying to remain anonymous, standing inside of the high priest's quarters, warming himself by that fire. And he was so caught off guard that his only response was to lie. And I think most of you know where one lie leads. One lie almost always leads to another. Another Bible commentator said, One sin makes many 
The devil's hounds run in packs. I like that. The devil's hounds run in packs. So what happened to Peter that night was no fluke. I mean, he set himself up for a whole bunch of bad decisions. In fact, Peter, you know, when I go through the story, made at least seven mistakes. His first mistake was that he was talking when he should have been listening. Remember Jesus saying, Peter? He told him about it. Peter should have been listening rather than saying, Oh no, Lord, not me, not me. He also did not appreciate his own weakness. The third thing was he ignored Jesus' warning altogether. Fourth, he followed afar off. He stayed too far away from Jesus. Fifth, he warmed himself by the wrong fire. You know, when I wrote that down the other day, I thought to myself, that would make a whole sermon in itself. The mistake of warming yourself at the wrong fires. Wouldn't that make a great sermon? I don't know about what, but I'm going to remember that. Number six, he was totally unprepared when the attack came. And seven, he compounded his sin by first deceiving, then denying, and finally by cursing and swearing. So it was that night on that Friday, some 2,000 plus years ago, that the rock, if you would have called him Rocky, afterwards they might want to call him Sandy instead. I mean, he he denied his Lord not just once, but three times. It It was a failure that he would remember for the rest of his days. And as we think about it, and we wonder whether we would ever do it, let me just plant this in the back of your mind, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Thankfully, however, after Peter fell, he began to return to the Lord. Let me run through four steps how that took place. One of them is the rooster's crow. That helped bring him back. The Gospels are unanimous on that one point. The rooster crowed at exactly when Peter's third denial came out of his mouth. And as those foul words flew from his mouth, at that very instant, somewhere off in the distance, there were foul words, if you will, F-O-W-L, coming out of a rooster's mouth as he began to crow. And that, that, that crowing of the rooster said, Peter, I warned you this would happen, and you didn't believe me. That was step one of getting back up. Step two would be the look of Jesus. You know, if you read this story of Peter falling, Luke adds one little bit to this story that Matthew, Mark, and John do not. It says that when the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now, evidently, the guards were leading Jesus through the courtyard just as Peter was denying him for the third time. And in that tiny moment of time, Peter cursed, the rooster crowed, Peter looked up, and Jesus was looking right at him. Now, I don't know exactly what Jesus' face looked like, but I have a feeling by late Friday night, Jesus' face was somewhat black and blue. His eyes may be almost swollen shut from the beatings he'd taken thus far. Maybe his cheeks bruised, a little bit of spit running down his face where people had spit in his face. Maybe there were traces of blood trickling out of his mouth where they had punched him in the face. Now, even though it was in the dead of the night, Peter could see Jesus perfectly in the outline of that fire where he was attempting to hide and warm himself. 
And not only could Peter see Jesus, Jesus could see Peter. He doesn't say a word. The Bible says that he just looked at Peter, Peter, who had just denied him for the third time. Everything had taken place just as he predicted. Wouldn't you like to know what that look looked like? What was Jesus' expression when he turned and looked at Peter? I don't know the real answer, but I have a feeling it was a, it was a convicting look. You said you did not know me, Peter. Look at me now. Do you not know who I am? That would be pretty convicting. I have a feeling, though, at the same time, knowing Jesus, it was a compassionate look. Maybe a look that said, Peter, how weak you are. Maybe now you'll know that you can't do anything without me. I also think maybe it was a commissioning look. Go ahead and cry, Peter. Cry. And when you cry, remember your words. But then go and speak words of strength to the other disciples. So we've got the rooster and the look of Jesus. Peter is coming to his feet. The third step would be the words of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all stress that the rooster crowed. Peter remembered, it said, the words of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus? Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. I think it was this memory more than anything else that probably brought Peter back to God. I mean, not only had he fallen, but he had fallen after his vain boasting. It had happened just as Jesus predicted it would happen. And those words spoken in love had kind of lodged themselves within the crevices of Peter's mind. I mean, so much had happened in those few hours that Peter had forgotten. But that moment, the Bible says, he remembered what it was that Jesus said. The fourth step, I think, were the tears that Peter cried. Now, when it said that he wept bitter tears in one translation, those words meant, I mean, I can't even begin to picture what that would be like, but wept bitterly, that the, those painful tears, those crying, weeping tears that he shed were a sign of deep repentance. I mean, he suddenly realized what he'd done. He realized how far he'd fallen and how those denials had hurt his Lord. But let's not forget somebody else cried that night bitter tears. Remember from last week? Judas. Judas wept too, but his tears led to suicide. Peter's tears led to repentance. Now, I want to tell you that tears are, a, are, are good if they lead to a new devotion to Jesus and a new determination to serve him. And yet I can tell you that I, I, I know way too many people who weep and weep and weep, but their hearts are not tender. And their hearts are not open to the Lord. And all the crying they do will never do them any good because it fails to turn them to Jesus. But see, for Peter, it signaled the breaking of his heart because of his sin. And Peter, who probably would have been familiar with some of the Old Testament scriptures, may have even remembered a psalm that David had written. And in that psalm, there's some words that probably many of you know too where it says, A broken and contrite spirit, O Lord, you will not despise. 
Now, you think about Peter. Peter was fundamentally loyal to Jesus. After all, which other disciple followed? None of them. The rest of the disciples wouldn't even come close. And in the words of another Bible commentator, it said, quote, Peter fell to a temptation that could only come to a brave man. The man of courage always runs more risks than the man who seeks a placid safety. Liability to temptation is the price that a man pays when he is adventurous in mind and action. End of quote. But yet we have to say Peter didn't really handle himself very well. But at least he was there. His failure was terrible. But at least he cared enough to try and follow his Lord. That does not excuse his sin, but it does help us to get a little bit bigger picture. See, in the end, it was not Peter's faith that failed, but his courage. I don't know if you remember, a little bit before this, you back up a little bit, Luke chapter 22, Jesus said something very interesting to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. Now, can you imagine, the devil had come to Jesus and said he wanted to sift Peter like sand. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, I, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's why I say, his courage failed, but Jesus' prayers were answered. Peter never lost his faith in the moment of crisis. He just lost his courage. Now that night, we know that Peter was loud. He shouted at those people. We know that he was profane and vulgar. Who knows what sort of curse words he used when it said he swore at them and said, I don't know the man. But it's also true that underneath all of that, he loved the Lord. And he was there in the courtyard with all of his faults, keeping an eye on him. At least Peter's heart was good, was good, but he failed to live up to his best intentions. Well, what kind of things can we learn from this story? Well, one of the things... And I kind of wrote these down kind of from a personal point of view, but I, th- I know that they apply to all of you. I-, I think one thing to remember is this, that Satan often attacks us at the point of our strength and not at our weakness. Get that? Satan often attacks us at the point of our strength, not our weakness. After all, th- wasn't it Peter who boldly said, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you? I mean, if you could back the clock up six hours... And you said, Peter, could you give me an idea of your strong points? I bet he would have said, boldness and courage. I bet he would have said, you know, I may open up my mouth and stick my foot in my mouth, but at least I'm not afraid to speak up. Jesus knows I'll be there when he needs me. So when Satan attacked, it came suddenly so swiftly, so unexpectedly, that this apostle literally turned to butter. And in the moment of crisis, Peter failed at the very point where he pledged to be eternally faithful. Now the question is, should that surprise us? After all, why should Satan attack only in the point of your self-perceived weakness? I mean, if you know you've got a weakness somewhere, that's the very area you probably guard most carefully. Now if you know you have a problem with anger or with laziness, or with lust, or with gluttony, uh, will you not be on your guard lest you fall? But it is not so often with your strengths. 
You take those areas for granted. You say, oh, that area is not a problem for me. That's no problem. I've got other problems, but I don't have any problems in this area. If you're the kind of person who says that, watch out. The red light has just come on on the dashboard. Danger ahead. Remember that old robot in Lost in Space? Warning, warning. See, when a person takes any area of his or her life for granted, I have a sneaking feeling that's the one area that Satan is going to look to attack. That's because that's the one area where you're not watching for an attack. It happened to Peter, and it will happen to you and to me sooner or later. Here's the second thing. I think God allows us to fail in order to strip away our excessive self-confidence. I mean, never again would Peter ever brag like he did that night. I mean, never again would Peter presume to be better than other people. I mean, never again would Peter be a cocky and self-confident and self-assured person. All that was gone, and that was part of the price that Peter paid for his failure. And I think it's a good thing that the Lord allows those kinds of things to happen to us as well. By falling flat on our face, we are forced to admit that without God, we can't do anything. And to be real honest, friends, the quicker we learn that in life, the better off we are. Now, failure never seems to be a good thing when it happens. But it strips away our self-confidence. If so, then failure is ultimately a gift from God. I mean, never again, like I said, would Peter ever stand up and brag about his courage. In fact, in the future, if you read his letters, Peter most often talks about humility. There's a third thing I think we can all learn from this, and that's that God can redeem your mistakes if you let him. I noticed two rather interesting facts as you read through the, the Passion story about the way Jesus treated Peter. One... Jesus never criticized him. And two, he never gave up on him. See, Jesus knew about Peter's denial way before it ever happened. He knew what Peter would do. He knew how he would react. And he knew the kind of man that Peter would be when it was all said and done. I mean, there's a, there's a very important principle here. Those of you that have ever broken a bone know that a bone that is broken often becomes stronger after it's healed. Uh, the same thing is true of a rope that breaks. In the hand of a, of a master splicer, the rope, once repaired, is often strong, more stronger than ever before. And the same is true of us in our failures. God can take us when we are broken, and he can make us stronger than we, were ever, we ever were before. I mean, though we fall and fall and fall, and even though our faces get covered with the muck and the grime and all that kind of nonsense of defeat, God can lift us back up from the field of defeat and march us on to victory. See, that's what happened to Peter. His guilt was turned into grace. His shame was turned into sympathy. His failure was turned into faithfulness. Now, you want proof? I can give you even proof that that's true. See, Peter did a whole lot more for Jesus after this failure than he ever did for Jesus before. Before his fall, what was Peter? Peter was a loud, obnoxious, boisterous, and unreliable disciple. Afterward, he was a flaming preacher of the gospel. Who was it who stood up on Pentecost and preached? 
And 3,000 people walked the aisle, so to speak, and were baptized that day. Before this failure, Peter was just a big talker. Afterwards, he spent all of his time talking about what Jesus could do for people. I mean, he was still Peter through and through. He was still the big fisherman. He was still the guy that Jesus called Rocky. But he had been sifted by Satan, and in the sifting, the chaff of his life had been blown away. Let me tell you a few things Peter lost through this. Peter lost his vanity. He lost his pride. He lost his arrogance. He lost his self-confidence. He lost his rash impulsiveness. He lost his unreliability. What did he get in return? He was given humility. He was given new confidence in God. He was given tested courage. He was given a new determination to serve Jesus. He was given a willingness to use his experience to help other people. And you know something? All those things that he lost, he didn't really need. And all of those things he gained, he could not have gained any other way than falling flat and having Jesus lift him back up. And in the same way that God redeems your mistakes, that God redeems my mistakes, you know, he, he takes stuff away from us that we don't really need and instead gives us stuff that we can use in his kingdom work. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff in this story that really ought to encourage you. You ever realize this? Do you ever had this happen where you were doing something and you suddenly realized Jesus was looking at you? You ever given any thought to that, that Jesus was watching you? Oh, I remember a number of years ago, many of you know Chuck Swindoll, famous Bible preacher. He was uh, preaching a sermon, and I was listening to it in my office, and he said, and he was in a church out in California at that time, and he said, we've got a lot of people in this church who travel all over this world. He said, men, often you're flying, you're landing in a strange town, staying in a strange hotel, you don't know anybody. He says, and when that happens, you get yourself into trouble. He says, so what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to pray for you men in this church that the next time you land in that strange town and you walk through that, to that strange hotel and you walk through that, that strange bar and you pick up that strange woman and you take her up to that strange room that when you're getting ready to crawl in the bed, the very first thing you see is Jesus standing at the end of the bed looking at you. Now, I'm not sure I had any trouble with that before, but I sure can tell you I haven't had any trouble with it after. What about that? Do you ever stop and think, Jesus may be watching? And what would he say? Man, when the Lord looks at you, though, he doesn't see, though, just your failures. He sees beyond our faults. He sees to our loyalty. He sees our pain. He sees beyond that. He sees our desire to please him. He sees our faltering attempts to follow him. One last question. Who should this story apply to? Who should this story apply to? Let me tell you a few. First of all, it ought to apply to any of you who are currently being tempted right now. I don't know what your source of temptation is, but to those of you who are being tempted right now, 
when you are feeling the pull of circumstances, the tug of covetousness, the, the tug of lust or whatever it may be, if you're in the midst of that, then you feel that something is pulling you away from the Lord, take heart. Take heart. If you feel weak and confused and discouraged about your life and you feel backed into a corner, get over it. So did Peter. This story is for you. There is a way out. You don't need to fall in order to stand back up. But if you have fallen, guess what? God is there to raise you back up. That story may be for, this story may be for some of you that are in that situation. Caught in some sort of a temptation. It may also be for those of you who have fallen. I mean, perhaps some of you gave way under pressure this week. I'm not able to follow you all around. I have no desire to. But maybe some of you gave in this week. I mean, maybe some of you carry a load of guilt from some very thoughtless words that you spoke to someone in school or in the workplace. Maybe some of you denied the Lord this week by keeping quiet at work when you should have spoken up. Uh, maybe some of you used some pretty strong language this week, even if you only kind of muttered it under your breath and thought no one was listening. And maybe you have been places where you really should not have been. Maybe even right now you find yourself in a relationship that you know isn't right. If that's you, take heart. Take heart. Because Peter not only felt like you, Peter fell like you, but the good news is what? The Lord lifted him back up. I think this story is also for people who are in this continuous process of coming back to God. Maybe some of you here tonight know all about weeping bitter tears. Maybe you have been in that place in the last days or weeks or months or years where you felt like God was pretty far away. Maybe you have been in that place where you felt like you were drudging across a desert all by yourself. Maybe you've come from a place where you had felt embarrassed by the things you'd said or did but you're on your way back. To you, I would say, take heart. The journey might be tough, but take heart. Guess what? Peter felt the same way. I'm not sure that there's any other story in the entire Bible that gives us more hope than this story. See, if Peter can fall all the way from Gwandalary, Matthew the Derrick, me to Vicky, and even in the balcony, any one of us can fall. Yeah, but there's hope for all of us, isn't there? The best of us, the worst of us, and the rest of us, there's always hope. If you've fallen, you can pick up again. If you're broken, God can make you whole again. If you have failed, God can make you useful again. If you have lost your courage, God can give it back to you again. 
I'll say it again. Take heart and believe the good news. If God can do it for Peter, he can do it for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this story, in fact, in any story in the Bible, if we just read a story and we, we say, oh, poor Peter, or oh, poor Judas, or oh, poor Joseph, or Abraham, if we just do it that way and we don't see ourselves in that story, then we've missed something. Lord, most of us would say we would never do anything to turn our back on you. But we all know that it's possible. Your word says that whoever thinks he's standing, take heed lest he fall. But even in the deepest, darkest point of our life, when we have fallen the furthest or fallen the hardest, we know that with you there is hope. And we pray that if we ever get ourselves in that situation, that those tears would be tears of repentance. We would come to the point that we would cry, we would learn to change our mind, to have the mind of Christ, and then to change our ways, knowing that you forgive sins and that you restore people, that you're in the business of raising people up, even as you raise Peter up. I mean, Peter, who went from a place of prominence to one of the lowest places he could be, and then again became the person that you said upon this testimony that Christ is the Son of the living God, that you would build your church on that such testimony. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the redeeming work you did in Peter's life and also in the lives of so many other people. Amen.